0: Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Ken Jennings. Hi Ken, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike, how are you? I'm very well, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Ken, this is the question I ask every guest on the show, and I'll ask it of you now. Ken, what do you like to be known for?
1: Uh, what do i like to be known for uh mm-hmm. i feel like i don't really have much of a choice at this point i'm sort of known for being a bit of a know-it-all <laughs> uh i was i was on an american quiz show for uh for 6 months in 2004 and suddenly alarmingly found myself you know becoming the sort of geek folk icon you know the the person who knows everything about everything whether that's true or
0: not so, I mean, naturally, we are going to talk about Jeopardy today, um, which is the show that you were a resident on for six months. But before that, I want to try and understand a little bit about you and maybe why you were able to, to be on Jeopardy for, for six months unbeaten. So I'd like to understand a little bit about your background. So, like, where did you grow up and what's what did you study in school? <coughs>
1: I'm from Seattle originally, but uh, I actually grew up overseas mostly. My family moved to South Korea when I was seven years old, and my family ended up living in Asia for about 15 years in Seoul and then Singapore. Um, So I feel like uh, that's a big part of what made me who I am. You know, I remember just being – I remember always being sort of insatiably curious. All these these sort of quiz kids I've met – Post Jeopardy, all seem to sort of describe the same childhood where they're just insatiably curious for facts, just out of the box. Like they're like sponges, you know, you can't fill them with stuff fast enough. Um, And so I assume there must be some sort of know it all chromosome for that, you know, just uh, that sort of insatiable curiosity. But in my case, it certainly helped that we were, uh, you know, living overseas, all kinds of like crazy new experiences. You know, I became fascinated with maps and geography, trying to trying to understand my new surroundings. Um, and that might be part of it. I think very brainy parents as well. Uh, my mom's a librarian, my dad's a, uh, patent lawyer, technology lawyer. Um, and, uh, you know, so I sort of had the the geeky childhood you'd expect, you know, you know, I was, they always read to me at night and, you know, super fast conversations around the, around the dinner table. And, uh, you know, sort of the upbringing you'd expect in a lawyer's
0: house. Did you ever participate in quizzes? where you on quiz teams and things like that when you were younger?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like I knew I, I knew I liked that kind of stuff. I remember, you know, quiz stuff becoming very faddish in 1984 or so when Trivial Pursuit came out. Um, and so I realized this was a thing. This was now a hobby people had, knowing weird stuff. So there was finally this thing I was good at. And I would run home from school to watch Jeopardy and other other kinds of game shows. Um I remember my high school did a, did an annual thing where one day a year we played against other schools um, in sort of a, a team a team quiz format um, and uh, and I remember you know even as an underclassman beating the older teams but that was that was pretty much all there was there was one day a year then you had to go back to you know <laughs> the stuff that was not fun
0: when you were younger, were you in the pursuit of general knowledge or? did a lot of this sort of stuff just come naturally because you were interested in many things or like, were you interested, like you say in maps and stuff like that, or did you just want to know a bit about everything?
1: I feel like I sort of had the classic little boys, uh, syndrome of having an obsession of the week, you know, just, just reading voraciously about, you know, dinosaurs for a week. but then the next week it might be trains and the next week it might be spaceships. Um, you know, so it was sort of a one thing at a time, but it was, it was certainly from the point of view of, a of a generalist you know it's that's what i think that's what really you know of this sort of professional quiz people i've met that's really what sets them apart is that they're really n- not bored by anything you know bizarrely you know no matter what the subject is they're trying to find a way into it um even if it's something they know nothing about doesn't matter if it's ballet or particle physics or disco you know they're trying to find a way in and relate it to something in their heads and uh and of course when you're interested in a subject it's it's not hard you don't have to work to to learn about it you don't have to make mnemonic devices you know if you're interested in something it just sticks and uh and i was always the kid who was interested in everything and so i guess everything stuck
0: so how you mentioned you had watched jeopardy as a kid how long had you been a fan of the show before being a guest or being a contestant
1: i guess the full 20 years it had been on the air it was uh you know growing up in in south korea there was i didn't speak much korean you know i could I could order food, I could, give conv- I could give directions to a cab driver, but it's just survival conversation stuff. So we never watched the Korean TV channels. We uh, All we had was the one English language channel for the American army base in Korea. And so we, you know, me and all my friends just had to watch whatever was on. And uh, as it turned out, what was on every day at like, I guess, four o'clock when we got home from school was... Jeopardy. So, so, me and all my friends had no choice but to watch this show. And I just became obsessed with it. I remember, you know, I'd run home from school to watch it. I'd write down the answers I got wrong and, uh, you know, try to study up. I would actually keep stats for myself. This was a very odd pursuit for an 11 year old boy. But, um, but I really thought, um, I, I, feel, I felt like I could really sense, you know, this is it. You know, this is, I could do this someday.
0: What do you think makes Jeopardy different? to other other game shows other quiz shows well,
1: I don't know if a, I don't know if a british listener would get this but uh, in the us this format's almost dead this sort of uh, vaguely sort of starchy academic cerebral kind of quiz show um you know where you can actually ask people questions about you know Milton and and stuff, you know. The this this is, doesn't exist in the U.S. You know, there's just, there's quite a few there's quite a few smart quiz shows in the U.K. to this day. Yeah. In the U.S. is in the U.S. It's pretty much just Jeopardy, which is which has now ceased to become a game show and it's it's almost like an institution. You know, it's 50 years old, in one format or another. And uh, you know, people just plan their evening around this show. If if you've never seen it, the central sort of, you know, it's just general knowledge question and answer. The syntactic conceit is that. The host actually provides the answer and you have to say the question. So you don't say Benjamin Franklin. You have to, you know, he says, this man did whatever, you know, invented the the bifocals. And you have to say, who is Benjamin Franklin? Um, So it's sort of this silly, ungrammatical, you know, nonsensical uh, formatting thing. That's really all that separates it from very simple kind of, you know, question and answer thing from the very earliest days of radio or TV.
0: Just on that, um, when you were actually answering the questions on the show, did it? Ever become hard to answer in that way? Like, were you like accustomed to it as, by a certain point, or would sometimes it would just to answer with the question rather than just give the answer?
1: No, it's actually I, I I get that question from non-Americans sometimes. It's it's pretty much second nature. So much so that often in other kinds of quiz format, you'll see a rookie accidentally use the what is thing you know some someone will actually say what is slovenia you know and everyone will just laugh because you know you're uh, you're not playing jeopardy there poindexter um th- that's how ingrained it is in, a, in american quiz culture
0: because i've seen a few episodes and i was watching a few of your episodes in preparation for for today and i feel like i couldn't answer fast enough if i knew any answers because it my brain was trying to format it you know in such a way like it was just very very puzzling to me but it's a really interesting format because of that because it it turns it on its head a little bit
1: the spe- the speed is very daunting i mean irrespective of the of the how you phrase the answer you know the the show does cram in over 61 sort of question and answer exchanges in this very short 20 minute window and uh, so it really does even watching on tv you don't get a sense of how fast that is in the studio it really is just like uh you know almost a firing squad of of knowledge and your brain is just sort of struggling to keep up and uh you know then they, they take five shows in a day so i remember often at the end of the day just being unable to sleep because my brain would sort of be like post processing like unpacking these hours of uh you know trivia interrogation that i that i'd undergone that afternoon
0: i'm gonna put a pin in that five a day i'm gonna come back to that in a bit because that's kind of staggering did you apply to be on any other game shows before jeopardy uh
1: i remember who wants to be a millionaire uh when it became a u.s sensation in like 2000 i guess there was a phone line you could call in and i would call in every day and often i'd get it right and sometimes i wouldn't but i never got the call back so that's as close as i came to to auditioning. A friend, I had a friend who would always, I played on a, a college quiz team at, when I was at university, and I had a few friends that really wanted to be on Jeopardy. We started to see people we knew, we knew from that circuit show up on these big money game shows. And so every time I was in LA, I would check to see if they were doing an audition. And, uh, and one time it, it turned out, I think I was in LA for a wedding or something, and we had just missed an audition by like two days. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. So me and a friend just drove back. and We drove home to, to Salt Lake City where I was living and then the next day immediately drove back to LA just to try out for the show.
0: So what is this, this process like? When you, you mentioned trying out. like A lot of game shows, like you say, you call in a number or you just apply to be on and then you know, they, they might give you an interview. What is the process of being on Jeopardy? How do you go from I want to do it to being in the studio,
1: I think it's a. Uh, I think today it's an online test. You know, you can you can take a, a quiz on the web. Today, uh, at the time, ten years ago, they did that in person. Yeah, I showed up at an LA hotel, and we filed into a conference room, and they handed out pencil and paper, and you get a very quick fifty question test of pretty hard material, and uh, and they grade that as fast as they can, and that sort of clears the room. Maybe eight or nine people scored high enough to stick around. And at that point they want to see you know who, who could who might actually play the game under the pressure of the lights on TV so they do a little mock game um little mock interview format you know if you've ever seen this show you know it's not really a high bar you don't have to be very telegenic to be a contestant on on this show these are not necessarily the world's most you know lively people um but uh, but they want to make sure people are not just gonna crumple under the pressure so there's a little a little simulation game and at that point it's just like uh All right, thanks. You did great. Uh, We may call you. And the odds are vastly against it. They get tens of thousands of people trying out every year for, I don't know, like 400 spots. So I was not really counting on anything.
0: Did you enjoy the process? Like when you got through, were you excited to go to the show or, or how did you feel after the audition?
1: Yeah, my friend and I both passed the audition and we were both just you're ebullient about it. You know, we were so excited. We were calling friends and family and everyone's like, "That's great. When are you going to be on?" And we we realized, "Oh, we're we're probably not. We're we're just celebrating because we did well at the audition." But that's that's sort of the joy. You know, you answer questions, you get them right. That's sort of the the secret appeal of this of this quizzing kind of stuff is that you have all this junk in your brain and it never pays off and and it actually feels good on those rare occasions when it does and you you achieve something because of something you actually knew.
0: So you were told you're gonna to be on the show. How did you prepare for your first day on Jeopardy? How do you get ready for a general knowledge quiz? Yeah,
1: it's tricky. You can't you know, you can't cram the way you would for a you know, a middle school chemistry quiz or something. You know, they could they could literally ask about anything. The way the show works, at the top of the show, the host reveals the categories and you have no idea. It could be ice hockey or it could be uh uh, you know the the Franco-Prussian War. It could be literally anything. Um, so I, I remember making some making some little flashcards and studying up on some standbys that are often on the show. You know, uh, easy easy to master lists like world capitals, uh, you know, U.S. presidents, Shakespeare plays. There's things that are sort of a canon of knowledge. Um, but really, the, the, I think the most productive thing I did was just I just started watching the show obsessively, and I would pretend I was playing along. I would stand behind my armchair at home as if it were a uh, like a game show uh, lectern and uh, and use a, a, use a ballpoint pan as a makeshift buzzer, um, just trying to sort of match the timing of what was going on in the studio and, and try to make all the decisions in real time. You know, do I know this one? Am I sure enough to buzz? You know, let's make sure I time the buzz right. Okay, now what do I say? Did I get it right? What category would I pick? You know, just sort of playing a mock game in your head as you're watching on TV. And I felt like an idiot, of course, because I'm, you know, I'm watching this game show standing up in my living room, but, uh, but it worked.
0: I've heard this mentioned uh before in regards to Jeopardy about buzzer time and buzzer speed and how there's a whole sort of a whole big part of the show is around the speed of the buzzer. Um one, like what 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 does this mean? And two, did you feel like you were prepared to buzz quick enough when you were practicing? <sighs>
1: Yeah, that's true. The, the, the mechanism you use to buzz is so fundamental to the show that many, um, <laughs> many aspiring contestants, I, I know people who have actually built simulators <laughs> in their basement to try to, to, try to accustom themselves to, to how the button works. There's sort of a tricky system where you can't buzz anytime you know it. You have to wait for the host to finish reading the question. And at that point, you're, you know, a split second later, your buzzer goes live. And if you buzz before it's live, you actually lock yourself out for a fraction of a second. Um, so there's this very narrow window between too early and too late that you're trying to master. And I found that um, you know, just by watching the show at home and sort of you know, <laughs> internalizing in some zen way the host's voice and you know, just trying to get inside his head and uh, you know, waiting for that final syllable, uh, I was able to sort of internalize whatever that rhythm was. And, and often I could get into it in the studio if I didn't think too much about it.
0: So leading up to the first day, did did you have any superstitions? Are you a superstitious person?
1: I'm really not. I'm sort of skeptical about all this. I guess they say you know superstitions work whether you believe in them or not. So I, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely did sort of get into this ritual over time where I always I always stayed in this you know terrible flea bag motel right next to the studio just because that's where I'd stayed at the, you know on the first day and I didn't want to shake anything up. And oh, uh, so
0: you did develop them as time went on then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know whether I believed in them or not, I was like, "Well, I'm I'm comfortable with this." I uh, I remember one of the crew one of the crew left a piece of like electrician's tape on the side of my podium, and I would always get very nervous if it wasn't there and ask to be put, you know, ask if I could have it back. So I, I guess I'm not sounding like an unsuperstitious person, but um, I guess that's the that's what the pressure will do to you.
0: I think at a certain point, you may as well just go with it because if it is true, you know, then why mess around with that stuff? <laughs> Sure. It's
1: like Pascal's wager of game shows. If that electrician's tape is totally powerless, then who cares? Worship the tape, you know? Yeah. No harm, no foul.
0: Now, I know on, on Jeopardy, you, you select categories, right? So you, there's a list of categories given to you, and then you select a category category that you want to start questions answering questions on. What would push you to choose a certain category? Would you go with the ones that you felt most comfortable with, or did you go with the ones that you felt that maybe other people wouldn't know so much about? Was there a strategy to that?
1: Yeah, often you know you'll see different things. Sometimes people will save their best for last. Sometimes people will want to jump around and confuse the opposition. Um, I think the most traditional strategy is to to play to your strengths first. And and I was a big believer in that because often if you rattle if if your timing is on that day and you can sort of rattle off a streak, uh, you can really you can just see the light go out of everybody else's eyes. Like oh, you know this this guy's not beatable. So I would often go to whatever my my best thing. Was you know literature category or a movie category? I love movies or maybe something with some kind of wordplay element because I was usually you know pretty good at you know anagrams in my head and and stuff like that. So yeah, I would I would play to my strengths first.
0: So you won seventy four games, and if I'm right, this is over one hundred and eighty two calendar days. It was shown on TV.
1: Yeah, it lasted almost six months due to various you know hiatuses and whatnot.
0: So this, um, Wikipedia tells me that you are the holder of the longest running game, uh, sh- run, longest running streak in Jeopardy in history. Is that, that's correct,
1: right? Yeah. They used to, they used to kick people off after five games. Right.
0: Um, you'd be
1: retired. And I, and I just happened to, they changed that policy actually after I auditioned, but before I got the call to be on the show. So just by happenstance, they oh. had, they had changed that policy, uh, just in time, but it's been, it's been 10 years since then. And, uh, I think it's it's proven very hard to get into double digits. You usually see even very good players will uh, will f- will fade around the tenth day or something. So uh, long streaks do seem it does seem to be historically difficult.
0: How far into playing Jeopardy did Jeopardy become your job?
1: <laughs> I didn't actually. Qu- I was a computer programmer at the time, and uh, I wasn't that great at it. But it was it was a great place to work. work so I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't miserable or anything, but I actually did not quit the job until I'd, uh, you know, I'd gotten a deal to to write my first book, and then I realized this is this is going to be a full time job. I can't really code and try to make a go of it as a writer. Um, but I remember every day after every taping, I would I'd call my boss and. and and tell her, hey, I, I actually won again. I'm going to have to stick around tomorrow and tape five more shows. And she would be like, are you quitting? Is that why you're calling? Tell me you're quitting. And I'd say, no, no, I'm not quitting. I'm, I'm just telling you I'm not going to be in tomorrow. I have to I have to play a game show again.
0: <laughs> so how many actual days were you in the studio? They do five a day.
1: Um, so I think it must have been something like 16, 16 or 17 tape days.
0: So... How did it fit? So doing five a day, how did it feel on your brain?
1: (laughs) There definitely was um, there definitely was fatigue by the end of the day. I think you can sort of if you watch it today. You you know, the Friday show is always the last one taped of the afternoon. I think you can tell I'm I'm pretty well fried. I uh, you definitely do get in some sort of adrenaline zone where you know you're doing your thing and you know it's like a like an athlete who will. I was just reading a thing today about an American football player who actually had a stroke on the field and went back in for the rest of the drive, you know, because you're in game mode somehow and, uh, and your, your body knows to struggle through, but, um, but yeah, it, it got tiring. It's, uh, it's surprisingly hard work.
0: Was it hard to keep it a secret?
1: That was tricky. Yeah. The shows tape months in advance of when they actually air. And in my case, I was still taping new shows as my, Rich as my first shows were airing, so I was you know I was having to sneak out of town to go make game shows without anybody finding out what I was doing. My friends didn't know my parents didn't know um I thought it would be more fun for them though you know if i if i could if I could keep the secret, you know what an amazing reveal
0: and so i from you know seeing the show, you can see that there are you you basically have to answer the usual sort of game show questions. So you'll be asked, you know, like, Hey, you know, you had the little small talk and stuff. Did you run out right. of these?
1: <laughs> I ran out of those very early. I don't know. Uh, I think Jeopardy viewers know that those stories have a pretty low bar for interest. You know, people are usually not terribly good at telling their anecdote. Um, so often they're sort of a painfully awkward kind of a, uh, you know, it's like a Ricky Gervais kind of a moment or something. Um, but uh yeah, I remember after a week just having nothing, and it it would end up just being sort of trying to spin a non-story into a story or, you know, just just say something that sounded like a premise, whether or not it was true, like, you know, that I I actually like airline food. You know, that's not true, but it's easy to spin 30 seconds of game show banter out of the idea that someone might just love airline food.
0: So after the 74 games, um, after your time on Jeopardy! was was done, how did it feel returning to normal life?
1: Um... I remember being relieved after the final show, just, uh, you know, thank goodness the ride's over, you know, you can get off the, get off the, uh, roller coaster. But then there was sort of a coming down period where I was like, no, wait, that's it. That's sort of one to a customer. This was the thing I was good at. And I only got to do it for like a couple of months. I assume this is how athletes feel after the Olympics or, or whatever, you know, win or lose. Um, you know, you've, you've peaked in your twenties. And, uh, and I remember it was sort of a, it was sort of hard to just negotiate this idea that you're never going to do the thing you're good at again, probably, you know. Um, and it helped, that I was, it helped that I got a deal to write a book and I was starting to think about, you know, what I might want to do next. So that helped, but it was still tricky.
0: I imagine you were just answering any question anybody asked you like super quickly
1: for a <laughs> while. I definitely did. Have, there was some weird social thing where people would just see me on the street and want to ask me some kind of hard quiz question. <laughs> how, how, to,
0: how do you fare in those scenarios?
1: I, I quickly learned that it's easier just to get it wrong. You know, like it's easier for you. That's what they want.
0: Right.
1: Everyone's, everyone's happy. I remember being at some hotel in St. Louis and the the doorman, not letting me in, um, just physically stopping and asking for all nine vice presidents who, ac- us vice presidents who acceded to the presidency in a, you know, in their predecessor during their predecessors term. And, uh, and I assume they don't do that for everyone. It's a very odd hotel If so... I, I got all the deaths right, and I for, but then I forgot about Gerald Ford, and he was so happy that I got <laughs> one with him.
0: How often were you recognized on the street during this time and then afterwards?
1: It got, it got weirdly frequent. I, I had no idea that it would become a... Because uh, typically, Je- you know, people, there are people who never miss Jeopardy, but it's not a mass culture phenomenon in the sense that people don't keep up with it, you know? Jeopardy doesn't grab headlines. So I assumed that nobody was going to really recognize me, you know, maybe at the store sometimes I'd sign an autograph and feel like a big shot. And I was really amazed when it turned into this sort of mass culture thing and I'm on all these late night chat shows and and uh and it really did turn into, you know, I couldn't leave the house without, you know, people just pointing and whispering all over the room. It was a very odd transition.
0: How did it feel every day as the winnings went up? Was it like did it, did you feel a building amount of pressure?
1: Um, I certainly didn't feel like I was getting rich. You know, they just seemed like, it seemed like a scoreboard, you know? It seemed like Space Invaders or something where the number keeps getting bigger, you know? And it didn't really seem like money you could spend, you know? um, And the game, the, the game playing itself actually got a bit easier, you know? I was getting... There's a, there's a pretty strong home court advantage to this show, it turns out, where if you can arrange to be on for months at a time, that's really the way to do it. Because, uh, you know, you're more comfortable with it, you don't have stage fright anymore, you figure out the the timing, and every day, you know, they bring in this truck full of fresh meat of, you know, people off the street having to play their very first game. And it's not remotely fair, But uh, but yeah, it just gets easier
0: well it's, I think history has shown though that it's it still does take a special kind of flower to be able to stay around for as long as you did because people not not many people have got close,
1: yeah, I assume that's fatigue plus there's a lot of uh there's a lot of chance built into the game there's points at which you can bet any or all of your winnings uh you know at least four points during the game, and that often leads to a, sort of an upset victory um You really have to put the game away early if you're going to avoid that and it's I think it's hard to do that you know for weeks on end
0: what do you think is? specific about you that made you able to last for 74 consecutive games and why has nobody done it since
1: you know it's an interesting it's an interesting question a lot of it really just was everything falling just right i i've looked back at some of my old shows the first book i wrote was sort of about you know people who whose brains work this way i remember looking at some of my old shows and counting up at least a dozen of them where if one single question falls another way i actually lose so i think a lot of it was just sheer luck You know, two to the 12th, one and two to the 12th, 12 things happened that in a row that, that shouldn't necessarily have happened. Um, But it also, you know, I've, I've had people tell me, I went back to play in a tournament recently and my wife was in the crowd and she's, and she says, you know, it just, it just looks different when you play, you know, and, you know, she's a. You know, she, she's not a disinterested observer, but she says, y- you just look more, like, intense than everybody else. <laughs> um, so it may just be sort of, it's a state of mind or, or something of uh, of just really getting inside the game somehow in a way that's hard to articulate.
0: Yeah, I feel, I feel like there could be, from, you know, from what we've spoken about today, like, there was maybe some luck at first, which meant that you had the right things fall in place for you. But then at a certain point, you just become good at Jeopardy like you just get good at it. And then once you get good at it, it's hard for people to knock you down.
1: It certainly was unusual for me to just be doing something that I loved, you know, and excelling at it. I, You know, even in school, I remember what I wanted to do was maybe get a literature degree and maybe teach, become a professor. And instead, I, uh, you know, I ended up getting engaged right out of college and not going back to school. And so I, I took this programming job that I was, you know, not great at and it paid the bills, but I was I was thinking, I bet I'm good at something, but this is not it. You know, every day I'm doing something I'm really pretty mediocre at. And that grinds you down after a while. I feel like I maybe sold out a little, a little too young. So just to be doing something that you're good at, it was really a kind of joy, you know, like watching a a figure skater or something on TV and just watching somebody uh, you know, just push a game to its limit and just, you know, obviously love it. That's that's what it felt like to be inside that, even though I'm just, you know, standing at a podium in a cheap suit.
0: Did your winning streak have any lasting effect on Jeopardy? Did they change anything?
1: They changed a few rules to sort of level the playing field for new players. Um, nothing you'd notice on the screen. They, they, they give new players a, a, a longer and more, uh, more lifelike rehearsal. So you sort of, you know, every new player coming in has more of a chance to get good at the game on the day. Um, that's sort of the main thing. I I think, um, I think I still get mentioned on the show quite a bit. If somebody starts to rattle off a streak, the host will say, oh, we might have another Ken Jennings on our hands. And then inevitably it's like the curse, you know, that guy loses that day. Um, (laughs) So that's that's about all I'm good for is to scare, to scare aspirants to the throne, I guess.
0: Did you get any feeling at the time for like, if the people creating the show, the network or the people there, how they felt about the fact that you were doing this?
1: That was a really weird dynamic, um, because there's this. Uh, I, d- I don't know how it is in other places, but in the U.S., there's still laws on the books um, requ- requiring game shows to be run very strictly and fairly because of these uh, scandals from the 1950s where all they were all rigged. You know, yeah. they were giving the good-looking guy the answers or whatever. And uh, so it's still a felony in America to rig a game show. So they take all this very seriously. There's so much security backstage, and you you never get to talk to the producer or the host or you know, the writers or anybody who might know anything about how the game is run the contestants are sequestered like a jury at all times to make sure that nobody's getting an unfair edge somehow and uh and so i really didn't know how how nervous they were because there were i don't know 30 or 40 sh- shows of me in the can before any of them aired and I, i'm sure this is a 40 year old property and i'm sure they're wondering did we just break this you know hit show this uh, number one quiz show have we just oh, wow. what have we done by letting That's this incredible. guy night
0: because they had no idea what was going to happen when they put it on tv but they had like weeks of you
1: yeah they had weeks of me already and uh and the jeopardy audience tends to skew old in the u.s these are not people who like change you know they don't they don't want suddenly their game show has this new guy on it that they can't get rid of you know so i think the show was a little bit worried about is this going to be is this going to be a hit or not and I remember asking at one point on a conference, we actually had a conference call where they were telling me about, okay, we're, you're coming back for the new season. And I asked her, are you guys just going to kick me off at some point? Cause it seemed weird that they hadn't yet. And all they could say was, no, we have no rules for that. There are, there are no plans to retire you.
0: That's amazing. Like, I can just imagine them just being this feeling, what's going to happen <laughs> when this starts airing? What are we going to do? I bet at the point, it, it kind of would go one or two ways. There's a massive outcry. It becomes a national phenomenon because this guy w- just keeps winning, which I assume it was getting towards the end. I, I imagine it was becoming quite a, uh, sort of, everybody knew about it.
1: Yeah, from what I, it, it did sort to turn into a daily kind of water cooler thing where, you know, from what I understand, you know, TV and radio shows would do a daily check-in. Yes, that guy won again last night. You know, people would be talking about it at the office, and um, and apparently the the show's ratings went went up considerably. So I don't know if that means people were, you know, hoping for me to win or rooting for me to lose. You know, waiting for me to lose. But either way, it turned out to be good for the show.
0: Regardless of whether you win or lose, people want to see it. I think.
1: Exactly. It becomes
0: a topic of conversation. It went
1: from Jeopardy, is that still on, to Jeopardy, is that guy still on? So,
0: What opportunities did being on Jeopardy give you? I mean, I know you've mentioned writing books. Is there anything else, maybe, I don't know, some non-obvious things that you wouldn't have necessarily expected that came your way because of the, the fame that Jeopardy gave?
1: Oh, yeah! it really, I mean, it, it changed, it changed a lot about, my life you know i i work from home now as a writer full-time that's the most obvious thing and i've you know i've got four books out and then i'm writing this new series of kids books so it really is a full-time job as a writer which is what i wanted to do and i work from home now and i get to see more of my kids and you know i go pick them up after school or whatever it's a you know lifestyle wise it was huge um there were uh i got to do fun things you know just being a you know being a guest on all these TV shows, you know, you're, you're in the green room with, you know, Liam Neeson or, you know, it just, you know, whoever the next guest is, that's sort of a fun little perk of 15 minute fame. Um, I, uh, what it did for me personally, I guess, is that I'd always been sort of vaguely embarrassed of this, of this sort of knack I had for knowing stuff because it's not popular, you know, it's, People are actually deeply skeptical of the person who knows everything. You learn very quickly to keep that to yourself if you know a little bit more than, you know, you don't always want to be the kid with his hand in the air in class. And so I'd sort of been in the closet for many years as, you know, not being this guy. And now here I am on national TV sort of outed <laughs> as as like this uh, this trivia geek type. And I, I, I ended up having to embrace that, you know, instead of, uh, instead of being vaguely ashamed of it, which was nice.
0: So, Many years later, you went back to Jeopardy. Um, well, one you did the was it the Challenge of Champions? What was it called? Sorry.
1: Yeah, they did some all-time tournament of champions uh, shortly thereafter, and I, I of all these past contestants, and I took second.
0: But I think more, maybe more interestingly, I remember I remember hearing about this at the time. This is maybe one of my first real sort of interactions with Jeopardy was the IBM computer Watson. (laughs) Right. So basically, you went back to Jeopardy for a special in which you tried to beat the IBM supercomputer. What did you think when you were offered this opportunity?
1: I remember Jeopardy calling and saying, IBM's... You remember Kasparov and Deep Blue? This is what IBM wants to do next. They want to beat Jeopardy. And I remember thinking... uh, Well, first of all, that I, I, I wanted to do it because... Um, it seemed like the future, you know, it seemed like some, some sort of uh, fifties retro idea of what the future would be, you know, robots playing on quiz shows, you know, uh, and I could be up there for this. I could be part of the first time. Um, but I also figured like it was, I thought it was money in the bank. You know, I had taken artificial intelligence classes in school and I knew that there was no existing technology that could, uh, that could play jeopardy. You know, you have to parse these very sort of tricky, densely written little koan like clues and i knew it was impossible so i thought yeah this easy. is great i will i will <laughs> yeah easy money i will gladly defend the human race because this is computers can't do this yet
0: and then what happened
1: <laughs> well, it <laughs> turns out when you throw tens of millions of dollars at this problem it turns out that it's uh you know the one skill i uh, special skill i had, sort of went away um i think what happened was that big data made it possible to solve problems in in new ways. You know the this uh, Watson didn't have to understand the clue fully like we were. It just had to go through a massive language bank and, you know, essentially look at word associations and see which one made the most sense. And it turns out you can really answer a wide variety of questions using these sort of naive techniques.
0: So considering the speed aspect as well.
1: The it, speed was tricky. Yeah. I mean, Watson was uh huge. It was the size of a of an RV, of a caravan. It was 3,000 IBM processors working in parallel because it not just has to get an answer, it has to get an answer in seconds. And even even with that going on, for a very short clue, the humans would always get in first. You know, Watson needed the, the lag of the host reading through a long clue to sort of catch up.
0: So looking back now of your time on the show and since everything that's happened, how do you feel about Jeopardy?
1: Uh, I feel just unalloyed uh affection for the the show you know um even before i went on the show, you know the fact that i ran home from school as a kid every day to watch and then it later became you know I, I later became famous for being on the show that's the kind of dream come true you don't really you don't really hear about much you know i never got to be an astronaut i never got to be a cowboy or a pirate but i did actually like kick ass on jeopardy just like i had dreamed of doing in fourth grade and uh you know, that's uh that's one of the one of the purest joys of my life. I get, if you know, if my if my wife's listening, I have to say that, you know, the birth of my kids was great too. But um but winning on a game show oddly was this strangely pure sense of happiness, you know, having this goal for I don't know, twenty years and it actually comes true.
0: So you mentioned you're a writer now. Um where can people find uh, links and stuff to the the, the books and, and such that you're doing?
1: Oh, um my site is Ken Jennings.com. Uh, the guy without the hyphen won't sell. So I'm <laughs> stuck with the hyphen, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my book should be findable on uh store shelves and or Amazon. If you're, uh, if you're outside the U.S. I guess, um, just all kinds of sort of quirky nonfiction stuff that I'm interested in a book about maps, a book about, uh, parental cliches. I'm working on a book right now about humor, about where, where our culture's sense of humor has come from. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, obviously still sort of a jack of all trades, master of none.
0: That guy wants some of that sweet Jeopardy money, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh you know, it's not it's not retire and buy an island money, but I do feel like, you know, I'll be able to put the kids through college and uh you know. The money was not the best part of it, but it's uh it's nice not to have to worry, I guess.
0: And uh, you're on Twitter and such like that, you know, Ken Jennings on Twitter.
1: I'm at Ken Jennings on Twitter. I d I don't need to I don't need the hyphen there. I got I was an earlier adopter for Twitter, I guess.
0: <laughs> Ken, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Um thank you so much for taking the time today. It's it's been fantastic to speak to you. Oh, it
1: was a it was a pleasure, Mike. It was a fun conversation.
0: If you want to uh, find some links to some of the stuff we discussed today, then you can go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 93. My name is Mike Hurley. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. If you want to follow me there, feel free, and I'll be back next week for another episode of Command Space. Again, thanks to Ken for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Until then, bye-bye.